Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Hallelujah. Christ arose. He is risen. Oh, come on. He is risen. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for joining us today for our Easter worship service. We're glad you're here today. And uh, we're going to share a few words from uh, God's Word this morning. Then our choir is going to sing some more uh, for us. When they were um, earlier in the scripture reading, uh, someone, uh, I think Dave read from 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again by a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And when you read that, I was thinking about um, I always think on Easter time, some of the loved ones that God has called home that we've known over the years. And I was thinking about our brother Irv Hedstrom. So you remember Irv Hedstrom. Irv was a uh, free church pastor in the area here. He was head of the, he was head of the, uh, the Evangelical Free Church in the Northwest, good friend of our founding pastor. And he was attending here. And I got to know Irv because we knew Peggy, his, his uh, wife, who had grown up in our church. And uh, I had the privilege of speaking at his memorial service, and that was the passage that Peggy specifically asked that uh, Irv uh, would, would want us to speak on. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. When Irv was in his last days, I was out of town, and we just come back from Colorado from a GGF national conference. Got home about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and I had a message on my phone from Wilson Fossey, another good friend of mine. And Wilson left me a message that, I don't know if you heard or not, but Irv is not doing well. He's in intensive care and could be getting toward the end. So I got home at 11 o'clock, I picked the phone up, and I called the hospital over on the east side. And the nurse emergency from the intensive care answered the phone. She came, she came to the phone. I asked if I could talk to somebody, and she came. And I was trying to find out what's the situation. Is, this, is, is he near death? Is he stable? I'm sorry, I can't give you that information. Well, is he going to be okay? I'm sorry, are you family? No, I can't give you that information. And finally, out of desperation, I said, just tell Mrs. Hedstrom that Pastor Shamari will be over there in about 20 minutes. Jimmy? <laughs> Why didn't you say it was you? <laughs> it was my cousin. <laughs> and uh, one of the few people in the world that would call me Jimmy. You know? <laughs> if it's your name. There's something about a name that, you know, uh, that personal title, that name, that when someone uses, that uh, someone else has the privilege of using, um, I, didn't, I didn't say, oh, don't call me Jimmy. I mean, that's who I was to her. It was, it was my name. In the Gospel of John, and as we look at the Gospels and the story of the resurrection, one of the, the great, of course, incidents is the empty tomb when Mary Magdalene comes early in the morning while it was still dark in John chapter 20, 
And she saw the stone already taken away. And then we have the story of Peter and John. We know it's John because it's the disciple whom Jesus loved. They run to the tomb. And uh, they race to the tomb. And, and, they, and they get there. And, and, and Peter, and they go inside and they look and they see. And they come out seeing the empty tomb and the grave claws lying there. As our young people shared on uh, Friday night at the... Uh, Tenebrae service, and we were reminded so vividly of the of the terrible pain and suffering our Lord Jesus Christ went through. And as those cloths that wrapped his body in that Jewish custom and the head cloth that wrapped around his head that would have been soaked in blood, and they saw them lying there and a cloth around his head lying separate. And they were amazed. And they went away. And it says, and it says that Peter went away and believed. I don't know what exactly he believed, but he believed. And they left. But when they left, Mary was still there. And the Lord came and stood by her, and she didn't recognize him. And, and, and said, why are, you, why are you crying? Verse 13, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried away, if you have carried him away, tell me, where have you laid him? And I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Miriam, her name in the Hebrew, Miriam. And she turned and she said, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, stop, stop clinging, stop clinging um, to me. And, but it was her name. It was her name, Mary. And the minute he said her name, the minute he spoke her name, she knew it was him. She recognized it was her name. It was his name. It was Jesus. And it was Mary. And throughout the stories, I'm sure that Jesus addressed his brothers and disciples and friends by their name. Peter, Peter, come, come away with me. Come away. Let's go by the beach and let's, let's have breakfast. There was another one who heard his name. It was the last to hear his name from the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd like to just focus for a few moments this morning on that uh, part of the resurrection story. Let's pray. Fathers, we open your word again. We pray that uh, we will continue to worship you. We will continue to um, look, look to you. We, we thank you for your word. It's been spoken this morning already. And Father, we pray that um, our hearts will be open to your word this resurrection day, this day of celebration, this day of joy, this day of victory. We gathered on Friday night. And we're so quietly reminded of the price paid for our salvation. But we come today to celebrate with joy in the name of our Savior, the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The Apostle Paul, and this really is, we could certainly include this as the resurrection chapter. One of the key resurrection chapters in the Bible. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and the reason this is written is that there are those who are, who are questioning the validity of the doctrine, even in the church, of the resurrection. How is this possible? How could this be? 
And, 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 and the Apostle Paul says that I want you to know, brothers, verse 1, the gospel I preached to you, which also you received, which also you stand, by which you also you were saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And, and, and later on in this passage, he suggests, how come some of you can say there's no resurrection from the dead? Because if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Jesus has not been raised. But he says this, For I delivered to you, verse 3, as of first importance, what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. This is what we call the kerygma. This is the heart, this is the gospel in a nutshell. This is the heart and soul of the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and the twelve. Of course, the women he appeared to as well. You just have to understand the first century culture. The emphasis was on the men who saw him. But we know from the gospel stories, the first to be there at the tomb were the women. But he appeared to Cephas. He appeared to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. There was a group of 500 people, more people than are sitting here today, that saw him at one time. Paul's saying, you can ask them. They saw him alive. Many of them are still alive, he said. Many of them are still remain with us, even though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7. Then he appeared to James, which would be, his own brother, the, the Apostle James, who became the head of the Jerusalem church, who earlier in the Gospels obviously did not even believe in Jesus as, as Messiah. He appeared to James. And then he appeared to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared as to one untimely born. He appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. We looked at the story of Mary and Peter and John coming to the tomb, the first ones there. And the first one he appeared to, evidently, it was Mary as he, as, he, as he talked to her. And then later, he goes and meets with his disciples. And then we have the road to Emmaus. We have, we have this Thomas, put your hands in my, put your fingers in my hand and my side. It's, it's really me. And then with Peter by the shore of Galilee, we stood there in that spot in Israel where Peter stood with him and Jesus spoke to him and reminded him of his denial, but commissioned him three times, feed my sheep, take care of my flock. And then he meets with 500 people, myriads of people. And Paul says, I was the last one to see him. This is part of the resurrection story. I was the last one to see the Lord Jesus Christ. But that story is not in the Gospels. That story is in the book of Acts, this resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ. And this morning I'd like to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 26 for our resurrection account this morning. In Acts chapter 26, the Apostle Paul, for the second time in Acts, recounts himself what happened to him. Earlier, Luke, the author of Acts, in chapter 9, he gives us the account of what happened with Saul of Tarsus when he was converted. In chapter 22, Paul recounts the story as well. And in chapter 26, before Agrippa, the Roman, the Roman governor, the Roman official, he gets to recount the story once again. And he reminds them. 
He reminds them that he was a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ. He persecuted Christians. In verse 10, this is what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints, chapter 26, verse 10, lock up many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. He did not just participate. He was just not the one who was in charge of the death of the apostle Stephen. He was in charge of many deaths, murders of Christians because of their faith in Christ, this man. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues with physical punishment, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. And while so engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun shining all around me, and those who were journeying with me. In Acts chapter 9, Luke says that, that Paul says he, that Luke says he saw a light. In chapter 22, Paul himself says, I saw a great light. And in chapter 26, he says, I saw a light brighter than the sun. And he specifically says at noon. If you've ever been, I know some of you have been in the Middle East. This is near Damascus. Damascus, which we hear so much about today in Syria. Damascus is the oldest continually inhabited city from the Bible. It's the oldest city that has continuously been inhabited in part of the story from the earliest times in the Bible to today. And he's approaching Damascus. If you've been in the Middle East at noon, you know how bright the sun is. But he saw a light in this brightness brighter than the sun. And this light threw him to the ground. It was overpowering. And as he sees this light brighter than the sun, shining all around me, in verse 14, And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice say to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads, the sticks that you would use to prod the animals that had a sharp end. Why do you keep kicking against this? Why are you doing this? And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Apostle Paul says, He was seen by Peter, by the Apostles, by James, by the 500. And finally, He was seen by me, one born out of due time. And I believe the Apostle Paul is speaking of his encounter on the road to Damascus. He saw the Lord Jesus Christ. As a Jew, and in this context, he knew what this brightness was. It was the Shekinah glory of God. It was the presence of God. It could be nothing else at noon outside the city of Damascus on a bright day. It was the cloud that led Israel through the wilderness. Yes, it was a pillar of fire by night, but it was a cloud in the day of brightness that led them and protected them. And he saw that. 
and he was thrown to the ground and he heard this voice. And you know what it says? Saul, my name, Saul. He didn't say, hey, you. He didn't say, why are you doing this? He didn't say, stop. He said, Saul. And I have to imagine, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ from scriptures, that the name was probably very affectionate. Moses, Moses, Abraham, Abraham, Mary, Mary, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? He was persecuting the church. He was persecuting that early Jewish church and that, that were spreading this gospel, the message. And he was trying to, to, to kill them, to, to get them to blaspheme, to punish them. And, and he says, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? And Saul, as he sees this vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know exactly what he saw because he was blinded by this light. But he says, I saw him last as one born out of due time. Saul, why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Now the word he uses for Lord here could be the word I would use maybe for sir. Who are you, sir? It was a typical word of respect. But the fact that Paul is telling himself, telling the story himself in the very next phrase, and the Lord said and uses the same word, I think when Paul says that, I think he knows who he's talking to. Who are you, Lord? Who are you? God has not spoken to him before with an audible voice. And he hears it. He has seen the Shekinah glory, Christ in resurrected form, but in the Shekinah glory and the brightness of his majesty and glory and holiness has appeared to Saul of Tarsus of all people. Who are you? I am Jesus. I am Jesus. My name. He didn't say, I am God, I am the Lord. He said, I am Yeshua, Saul, I am Jesus. It's my name. I'm telling you my name. I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. You know, I wonder, at that moment, if you could stop, freeze the story, like you can on your televisions, you know, and just freeze that scene with Saul on the ground, having heard Jesus say, I am the Messiah. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting you. What do you think is in Saul's mind? What should happen next? Here is an Orthodox rabbi who loves God, who thinks he is serving God, who is persecuting the Messiah of Israel and killing his disciples, men, women, and children, persecuting them. In Saul's mind, what should happen next? Wouldn't it be a thunderstrike, a lightning? Wouldn't it be judgment? Wouldn't you expect something? Saul, I'm Jesus. Why are you doing this? And notice what he says in verse 16. He doesn't yell at him. <laughs> he doesn't discipline him. He doesn't even reprimand him. He doesn't challenge him. He doesn't remind him of what he's been doing. He says, Saul, Saul, get up on your feet for this purpose. And I just want you to think of this in just a few minutes here, about five minutes, just three thoughts before we're going to finish our service this morning. 
There's three things. There's, there's three first-person verbs here. Saul, just get up. For this purpose, I have appeared to you. What's the purpose? To appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, the appearance of Christ, but to the things in which I will appear to you. The first thing the Lord says, the Lord Jesus Christ says to Saul personally, Saul, I have appeared to you. I ask you this morning, I ask myself, has Christ appeared to you? We used to sing a song, have you seen Jesus, my Lord? He's here in plain view. Take a look. Have you seen Jesus, my Lord? I have appeared to you. The Lord has appeared to us. I have not physically with my eyes seen the Lord Jesus Christ. But he has appeared to me. He has appeared to me in the pages of the scriptures. That's why we have these. The Lord Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees and scribes, you search the Old Testament because you think you're going to find eternal life in them. But they are those which speak of me. And we have the testimony of, and yes, it's a matter of faith. We have the testimony of those who saw Jesus. I always, I always think at Easter time, I always think of the story of Chuck Colson. And some of you that are old enough to remember back a few years, Chuck Colson, who uh, was embroiled in the Watergate scandal, one of Nixon's henchmen, as he described, went to prison for it, became a believer in Jesus Christ in prison. And, of course, founded that tremendous ministry of of prison fellowship, which today is ministering to to the myriads of prisoners throughout the world. I always think of his story in his book, Born Again, that he he shared. And he says this, and this, this this is what led him to Christ. This is what led Chuck Colson to Christ. I know the resurrection is a fact. And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. And young people share what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. The night he was betrayed, his disciples also were whipped and beaten. Peter was crucified. They were tortured for 40 years. And Chuck Colson says they, he says they would never have endured that if it weren't true. He said Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. And you're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? It's absolutely impossible. And it was that account in reading the, just reading the scriptures that all of a sudden he realized these men had to be telling the truth. I know, I've been there. Not one of us would have done that if it wasn't true. I have appeared to you. The Lord has appeared to us. The Lord has appeared to us in the scriptures and he has appeared to us in the church, the body of Christ. We are his body. And I see the Lord Jesus Christ every day in the body of Christ. I have appeared to you. Secondly, verse 17, 
I am rescuing you from your own people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Your own Jewish people who will persecute you and the Gentiles who likewise are going to persecute you. I want you to know, Saul, I've appeared to you and I want you to know I am going to rescue you. I am going to make sure that you persevere. Like all the apostles, he was martyred, he was beaten, he was tortured, he was stoned so severely with rocks that they thought he was dead and they walked away and left him. And God raised him up. He didn't say you're not going to be, you're going to be immune from hardship, you're not going to have challenges, you're not going to have difficulties. No, that's not what he said. But he said, I will rescue you. I will rescue you. And Paul comes to the end of his life. And he writes his last epistle. In his last epistle in 2 Timothy, as he concludes this epistle, he says this. The Lord stood with me at my last trial before Nero. And he strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished that all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I will rescue you. I will make sure that you will be with me. That you will be saved. And you will be safe. Friends, this day we celebrate Christ's victory from the the grip of death and from Satan and from our sins that he bore on himself on the cross of Calvary, my sin and your sin. We celebrate today the victory over death and we will be rescued. He has appeared to us. He will rescue us. And finally, he says this to Saul. He said, Saul, I rescued you, but I'm sending you. And the word here is apostolos. It's the word obviously we get apostle from. I am sending you. And here's why I'm sending you. Verse 18. At the end of verse 17, I am sending you to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light. This apostle who was blinded by the Shekinah glory of God until he got to Damascus and the scales fell off. From the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Paul, I've appeared to you. Paul, I am going to rescue you. You're mine now. I will take care. I know how to take care of what belongs to me. And I am sending you. I'm sending you with a very important task to turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of the love and compassion and heart of God. And with this message, the Apostle Paul says this in Acts, O King, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly calling, but kept declaring both to those in Damascus first, also at Jerusalem, 
and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate for repentance. This is the reason I am here today. Friends, today we celebrate the joy of that first resurrection. We celebrate that Jesus could call Mary by her name. Think of the joy. Just think of the joy of that woman who stood at the foot of the cross and watched that battered body of her Lord as he died on the cross. And as Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea stepped up when everybody else left and took his body physically off the cross and pulled the nails out. And those women were there. And they saw his dead, lifeless, battered, and bloody body wrapped in cloth and put in the tomb. Can you imagine the joy on Easter morning? Mary! Mary! It's me. I'm alive. I've appeared. I will rescue. And I am sending you with a wonderful message of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Choir, you're going to share with us a song. We're going to have a closing prayer, and then they're going to share a benediction I'd like you to stay for and enjoy as well. It's just so wonderful this weekend, being here Friday night, leaving quietly with that sorrow in our hearts, coming today with the joy of the resurrection. Hallelujah. Our Savior lives today. Why the Apostle Paul, why was he called to be the last, the last one to receive that appearance? He tells us. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost of all. I am the first in line. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me, the first in line of sinners, a one-man wrecking ball of the Christian church, terrorizing men, women, and children, it was for this reason that Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. There is nobody that can say, I am beyond God's grace. If Saul of Tarsus was a target of God's love and grace, there is nobody. Don't ever say, I'm, I'm beyond hope. That person is beyond hope. There is no hope to that person. As long as there is breath, there is hope. And I invite you this morning. You know, on Wednesday I decided I'm going to go to the Seattle Symphony on the night that Teresa goes to the women's retreat. I'll be by myself. And uh, as a Mozart piece I want to hear, I went online, bought myself a seat, cheap seat, right toward the front so I can see the soloist, put it in my basket, and forgot to purchase it. I'm sorry. I appreciate your... (laughs) 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 Probably Gary walked in with some some question or something, or Kevin, you know. And I didn't purchase it. This morning, I was going through something in the China closet, getting ready for stuff for Easter dinner today, and guess what I found? A ticket 
the Seattle Symphony on Saturday night, the exact same row, two seats away from the ticket I was going to buy. I bought it in January, and I forgot all about it. (laughs) I would have had two seats. (laughs) You know what? I didn't need to buy that ticket. It would have been completely a waste of my money and time. It was already paid for. Listen, friends. Cross the Calvary. The empty tomb. I like to think of the rock wall. The empty tomb. It has already been paid for. There is nothing else you can do but receive the gift. Go try and buy it yourself. It's a waste of time. You can't do it. It's already been done. Why wouldn't you? I invite you this day. Receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and receive eternal life. I see Dan and Barb Butler here today. Dan and Barb Butler have given their life to serving in the mission field. They've been all over the world with Wycliffe missionaries. Why would you, why would you spend? got to be going on 40 years, you guys. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Because there is no better way to live than serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Stand, let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us this Easter Sunday. The choir is going to sing a benediction for us. They've been patiently waiting for me to finish. Thank you. And I'm going to pray. And then we're going to enjoy the benediction. And then we'll be dismissed. But you don't have to leave quietly today. Leave with joy and celebration today because of Christ's victory. Over sin. Father, we love you. We know we have no right to say that apart from your love and grace. We love him because he first loved us. And we thank you on this day, Lord, that of all people, that we can stand here together in our humbleness and in our sinful state. Thank you for appearing to us in the pages of the gospel record. for rescuing us and promising to preserve us till the day we stand in your presence and see you face to face. And you have sent us. And we leave this place and we pray that the joy and grace and mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ will go with us and that somebody this week will see you in us. And will come to faith. And I pray if there be one person here today who has come in these doors, they have heard the simple gospel. You love them. Your son died for them. You paid for their sin. And you offer them forgiveness through, from sins through simple faith and accepting your payment for their sins and accepting Christ.